to You Know Nothing, Jon Snow, a Game of Thrones podcast, the sister podcast to Dark Discussions podcast. We are here tonight, myself, Philip, with someone in Michigan. This is Eric. Eric, how are you, sir? I am well. Very good. And in the state of New York? This is Mike. Mike, how are you? All right. May the 4th be with you. It's May 4th, so uh, Cinco de Mayo's tomorrow. I'd like to wish uh, all our friends in Mexico, as well as all us Americans who celebrate it as well, which is pretty much everybody in America, to just get a free margarita from maybe your friends. I was going to say, let's, let's be honest, it's all about drinking tequila. Exactly. Yeah, it's sort of like everyone's Irish aunt, speaking of, of on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Why? Because you get to drink beer. That, that is my, my cultural contribution from my people, is green beer, you know, and Lucky Charms. Right. So first off, Eric, uh, you do another podcast with your buddy Dan. I do. It's a general interest podcast called the Ascancity Podcast. That's A-S-K-A-N-C-I-T-Y. You can find it at Ascancity.com or on the iTunes store. And Mike, you do a genre blog on the side? Uh, on, from time to time, that's www.unnaturalselections.com. Uh, where I just talk about whatever I happen to be in the mood to talk about if the time is available. Yep. And all three of us actually do another podcast as well called Dark Discussions Podcast, uh, which is www.darkdiscussions.com, which you can find on iTunes and on Stitcher. And we have a Facebook group, Dark Discussions Podcast. But also, you know nothing, Jon Snow, a Game of Thrones podcast. Its homepage is www.darkdiscussions.com, as well as an email, darkdiscussions at aol.com. Uh, once again, sister podcast, so we use the same website. Dark Discussions was created first and has been around for five years now. The anniversary is coming up this week. And here, we've only done this. This is our fourth episode. Yep. And we're doing season five of Game of Thrones. And this week's episode was The Sons of the Harpy, I think. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? That's yeah. right. That's right. And that was episode four, which they say was the last episode uh, that was given to the the critics for screening right so, so no more leaks yeah explain that eric what happened uh well the first four episodes got leaked on the internet so a whole bunch of people saw them before they aired the last episode directed by uh mark mylad for this season sons of the harpy has been released and this oddly was an episode written by a guy named dave hill who was not anybody of significant it, what he was is he works for david benoff and db weiss and they told him prior to the season that uh, he would be able to write an episode and this is uh the episode he wrote any thoughts or feelings or any things you want to talk about before we i guess discuss various points on the the episode well, uh, I did want to mention uh, in the past we've recommended another Game of Thrones podcast called Cast of Kings uh, with Dave Chen and Joanna Robinson. And last week on their show, Joanna was talking about how she was going to be really, really mad if they went another episode without showing Dorne on the map at the beginning of the episode. And this week they did that, and she's very, very happy about it. It was kind of cool to see. So Dorne is on the map now. And you are referring to the opening credits sequence. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. I, I actually missed it, but I it's did got, hear got that. A big, got a big toy snake <laughs> yep. with a clacking tongue. Which is about time they did, because uh, it was already in uh, episode, I think, two or three. Right, but it, but what I found odd is that they also had Bravos again, right. and, and that was not in the episode. Well, it was mentioned, though. It was mentioned, but they've mentioned Dorn about 100,000 times in the show before they finally got there. 
true. You know, and it's there. There are certain things they always show. They will always show King's Landing. They will always show Winterfell. Winterfell, and, yeah. Uh-huh. And they will always show the Wall. And I also yes. found out, Mike. I, I did read the guy that is the developer of those uh, opening credits. He said they always show one other fourth thing, and that is wherever Daenerys is. Okay. Right, but that but that changes because Daenerys right. Daenerys gets around. That's right. But all the rest, it's just it seems like it's almost random in a sense. Random uh, or static, as the case may be. I, I always like seeing new places and new toys. Yeah, it was it was a nice surprise to get the get the little Dorn animation. All right. So, any further things uh, before we begin uh, discussing the episode? I guess not. Nope. All nope. right. All right. So, uh, yeah, this episode. Uh, what did you guys think of this episode? Uh, this was an interesting episode. Again, it was written by Dave Hill. Unlike the last three episodes, who were written by the two showrunners. It's basically been getting mixed reviews, I guess, because certain parts were very strong, they thought, and certain parts were kind of weak or or otherwise. So uh, what did you guys think? What did you think, Eric? I thought generally it was a pretty strong episode. We got some really great scenes uh, that gave us some background and strengthened some characters. Uh, I hate to admit it, but Stannis actually had a pretty awesome scene in this episode. Uh, there's also a great scene, uh, with Cersei. Uh, there's another great one with Jon Snow. Uh, so I mean, most of the action in this episode happened at the end. Uh, but it was, as far as storytelling goes, a very strong episode. Yeah, yeah. There, I thought there was a couple more pretty strong episodes as well, Eric. I thought, um, the Baelish and Stanza episode was really good. Mm-hmm. And I thought the episode between Tyrion and and Jura Mormont was pretty strong. The second ep- the second scene when they were uh, yeah. during the daylight, and then of course um, I also thought the Massandra and Jon Snow scene was really strong as well, especially the ending of that scene, uh, <laughs> which is the name of the <laughs> yes, they used the title of our show. Yes, so we thought it would never happen again because Egret is dead. But sure enough, that is but the he case. got another mouthy redhead to say it to him. There you go. Um, what about you, Mike? What did you think? Uh, I got mixed feelings about some of the show. Um, part of it is the fact that I think I'd heard, I know that I'd heard, uh, people saying they're disappointed in the first three episodes, but the fourth episode is like really where it comes forward. And I'm kind of realizing that people, there's a certain section of Game of Thrones fans, and I don't know if it's 1% or 99% of the fan base or somewhere in between, where what they call a very good episode is people killing people yes is, is body count right yep. mm-hmm. um and there certainly was a body count in this episode i don't know that that necessarily makes it a great episode this is a lot like everything else we're seeing ramifications there was a lot that happened and, and again i'm still kind of finishing up the rewatch of seasons one through four there was a lot that happened between basically the end of season three with the red wedding and the end of season four. And we yeah. are just sort of still, I think, reorienting all these new pieces on the map with Tyrion and Varys and, and Arya and Sansa and Littlefinger and and with with the death of um, of Tywin, everything's kind of shaken up. And we're still letting the dust settle. Right. Although some new dust is being kind of kicked up. Um <laughs> Well, Tywin's death has left a power vacuum. Right. Because uh, he was an extremely powerful man, and it's been referred to more than once 
uh, in the show since he was murdered. So there's, there's a big power vacuum. And although Cersei would like to think that she's filling it, that she's really not. Uh, so, so like you said, the pieces are shifting and moving into place. Right. So some of it was the fact that there are a couple of things seem to happen a little too quickly. Uh, there, I had some some issues with the Sons of the Harpy scene at the end. Uh, we'll talk to you about when we get to that. Uh, and to a lesser degree, the, the, the Tyrion thing, we're getting such small snippets. Uh, like, I don't think they needed two scenes for Tyrion and Jorah Mormont. No, they didn't. And, and honestly, if they were going to take that route and give us that little of it, they should have just replaced the one of those with a, oh yeah, Arya's still doing her thing in the House of Black and White, too. Or, or what have you, because know, really, now the, the thing is, I understand them telling us uh, which queen it was that, that Tyrion's going to go to. Right. And it was certainly perfect, a good scene, it was uh, uh, showed something. Yeah, again. but why, why do you need that scene at the beginning where he punches the guy out and throws him in the boat? That was completely superfluous. Right. Um, and, and I also would have wondered maybe, and now I don't know what's coming up next week, Uh but for dramatic purposes, I could even see them, you know, making us hang for an extra week as to which queen is he going off to be, be to be seeing. Right. You know, because uh, yeah, they certainly have no problem putting Arya in the closet for a week or putting the Boltons in the closet for a week. Right. Well, so where do we want to begin? I would have to say generally, and Eric brought it up, which is the whole series, the biggest moment of this whole show is probably the death of Tywin Lannister. His right. death literally changes everything. Even though Ned Stark's death was huge, all that did was start the rebellion further because it was already going on anyway because Remley and Stannis were already starting the war anyway. So what, what Ned's death did was just bring the Starks into the war. But Tywin dying literally is the whole show because with his death, like you said, Eric, there's a complete vacuum now. And then now anything can happen. It's crazy what's going on now. And I was thinking about this episode, and I remember, I think it was season three, episode 10 was called The Children, I think. Mm-hmm. And this episode felt to me the like The Children Redux. Okay, I don't remember that episode. Give me a quick refresher. That was the post-Red Wedding episode? Yeah. It was basically relationships between children and their parents of course, there was a double entendre with the, with the the children beyond the wall. But this episode felt like it was a lot to do with the legacy of the parent to the child, and almost everything from the the sand snakes and the mother to Sansa and the, okay, yeah, 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 and all her dead relatives, her father and whatnot, mm-hmm. Stannis and his daughter Daenerys, and talking about. Her, her family and then her father and you know the Mad King and all that. So I don't know. I just <laughs> felt that it would have been better titled that because this uh, this season they've been titling the episodes based off of one short scene rather than as a whole episode like they've done in the past. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes it's hard to get them all hooked up thematically because these are such uh, very separate storylines, and it's nice when they all converge and there's something thematic or obviously thematic about them. Right. And you can get a unified title. Um, well, like, this episode could have been called Any Number of Things. Uh, you know, could have just as easily... You know, like, this week could have been... Uh, uh, what, what do they call them? The uh, the Vigilant or the... 
the church people. Yeah, the high, oh, the sparrows. Uh, oh, uh, the, the militant group. You mean? Yeah, but they had just as much to do with this episode as the Sons of the Harpy did. Right. Yeah. The and faith the militant. Son, the faith, the faith militant. militant. Right. Yeah. So you could have called this episode the Faith Militant. You could have called this episode the Sand Snakes because we first finally meet the Sand Snakes and they kill a right. snake in the sand. You know, it's um. There's a few different options that they could have gone with here. There is no reason to go with necessarily the Sons of the Harpy, even though they probably – well, I don't even – they may have the largest ramification for the series going forward, but even that I'm not convinced of at the moment. Well, neither am I, and I think they just chose it because it was at the end of the, end of the episode and what everybody going, I wonder what it means or what's going to happen. Right, and they, and they already had an episode about the Sparrow. Right, right. Right. They named an episode for the High Sparrow. And I understand that one because that was the episode that, that introduces him. Right. Right. right? So, okay, so we, we do that. But again, did he necessarily have a whole lot to do with anything else? And this is why it's so hard remembering past episodes to say, uh, you know, how good or bad was the episode necessarily because the, a lot of times the titles refer to one specific scene right. or one specific storyline and you forget what were the corresponding storylines right that that click together mm-hmm. right and like there was one in my rewatch in season three uh where like three of the funniest scenes they've ever done on game of thrones were in that one episode but you forget that they were all in one episode um and like one of them was for example the first time you have the the small council meeting with tywin and Tyrion and cersei and they have the game of chairs yeah that was good all right, and it's all this subtle back and forth and yes. Tyrion dragging his chair around. And, and there are other a couple of other really funny scenes in that episode, but there, you forget that they were all in that one show. Right. Yeah. So and, anyway. And, yeah, yeah and, and that's fair. I mean, even though, in my opinion, the Sand Snake scene was probably the weakest, uh, this, yeah. you know, th- being so, quote-unquote, anticipated – that the the sand snake scene was for this season, it wouldn't have surprised me if they just called the episode the sand snakes. To be honest, and so maybe I missed something because I didn't. Maybe because she was with an accident, I might have missed something. But I didn't even really get the story she told. Yeah, well, about her father. And then my it, father came with a spear it, it, and he pointed <laughs> at the tear. It's like, what the hell are you talking about? It was, I don't it, understand. It was forced and cheesy, absolutely. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. I, I read one review that stated that it felt grindhouse exploitation like a Quentin Tarantino film because the Sand Snakes felt like Force Fox 5 or the Viper Assassination Squad. Well, and the, the only reason that speech existed is so she could chuck a spear to some dude's head at the end of it. Some random dude that we barely met before he got his bucket taken off his head. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, I don't even think, I, I mean, assuming, I mean, I think we might have seen him wandering the ship with yeah, I, I don't know who he is. Yeah, he was, well, well, he was the he was the captain for Jamie yeah. and uh, and Bron. And Bron. Oh, okay. So Bron was right. Yes, of course. Was. Bron was right. Bron is always was. right. He was right about the mountain killing killing Oberon. He was right about this. Yep. He hasn't been wrong yet. Nope. And that's nope. why Bron should be sitting on the game on the. On the I throw. I agree. <laughs> that's, that's a good that would be the best ending to this it would, oh it would be he would be sitting there your highness I have this problem do you have money <laughs> then I'll take care of your problem I think no one would be disappointed at the end if Bronn became the head of the Game of Thrones 
But uh, there's going to be people angry no matter who wins at the end of the series. Except Hot pie. Hot except, pie. Yeah, he would be all right, too. But So let's get into some pies for everybody. Let's, <laughs> let's get into some of the episode. I wanted to bring up a point that it just occurred to me last night after watching it. And the difference between Stannis and Tywin and how they treated their children. Because we see Tywin and Tyrion. Tyrion's different than most folk. And then Stannis' daughter is different than most folk. And one father looked at their child as a blessing, and another father looked at the child as a piece of garbage. Right. And that really struck me. It shows a character flaw that eventually was the reason why Tywin's dead right now. Right. As a matter of fact. So it was interesting to compare that because... I could see, and again, I'm, you know, everybody knows that I'm a Stannis fan, but it makes makes me think Stannis could win out at the end because I think he's logical, but he also went to the wall because he knew the kingdom was more important than the throne. And then, of course, how he looked at someone that is different versus another great leader. If Well, he- here's the thing. I'm, I'm not going to take anything away from Stannis in that one scene with his daughter, because that was awesome. And yes, that was great that he loves his daughter and told everybody to piss off when they told her, told him to, uh, just let her die. The only reason he went up to the wall is because his fucking witch told him to. And there's even a scene in this episode right here where the witch is like, Oh, you tried to go somewhere without me before. You won't try it again, will you? And he's like, No, master, never again. Yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, to, to, to be fair, what was the last place he went without her? I, that I was uh, Blackwater. 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 And uh, what happened to them at Blackwater? He lost. They got their asses kicked because they Tyrion got their asses kicked by f- 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 fire. Fire. They got their asses kicked by f- fire. It was green fire. Which now, which now we know the redheaded woman. She plays tricks. It was green fire, but it was still fire. That's her element. Now, in re- doing a rewatch, she she has admitted. Uh, I was watching the scene where she's talking about her various potions to Stannis's wife. Oh yeah, and she admits to basically sometimes you have to lie. Right. It could be that she would that she would have had no impact on that battle whatsoever. Yes. Right. It could have been, because we know she has power, that she maybe did turn things or could have turned things around. I think that is a lesson Stannis has to has to abide by for the moment. Now, if he gets his ass kicked at the next battle with her by his side, maybe he just cuts her head off. <laughs> well, but but you know what, though? I mean, let's look at her as an advisor instead of the witch. She's a witch! If we look at her as an advisor, pretty witch. much she's been a fairly important and wise advisor she's been right in numerous occasions she's smart i mean she's not a soldier like davos but there's no reason to say she's no better or worse female male politician versus military general it doesn't matter i think she equally has a right to be heard just for the fact that she's she's correct a lot well Well, except she burns people at the stake and, and she gives birth to smoke babies that go and murder people. That was an act of, of military intelligence war. In other She's words, a witch! <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, if you, that was, as, as things like that go, well, there was a massive creepy factor to that. Yep. Her giving birth to Shadow Stannis. Yes. 
Uh, Shannis, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, give it, there's a massive creep, but really, is that that much different than... Yeah, then send an and, assassin you know, to shoot, uh, kill someone. Yeah, then assassinating Rob Stark and his wife and mother, right? Exactly. It's um, now and now in that there are also a whole bunch of cultural, social taboos that go with it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I mean, it's basically about on par. Yeah, you could say, well, gee, that's kind of a slimy thing to do, but it does take that piece off the playing board, doesn't it? It does. And all relatively fair in in the Game of Thrones, you know? It's, well, in the Game of Thrones world, yeah, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, they, they they don't have a Geneva Convention that they have to deal with. <laughs> they sure don't. <laughs> no, but but to be just, honest, just, though, just ask Bruce Bolton about that. It, it, you could you could argue though if you have uh, a sniper you send into battle, uh, or uh, you know parachute behind enemy lines wearing enemy clothing, and then you get close to an important general and you wipe him out. Is that wrong? Is that illegal in warfare? And in theory. That's all Stannis did if you take away the aspect, as you said, Mike, and just look at it as sending someone in to assassinate the enemy leader. Right. My, my bigger issue with her is just her killing off anybody who disagrees with her, her religious beliefs and, you know, burning them at the stake. And that's where I, you know, the fanaticism tends to come yeah. into play. And now I have to say, even if you do believe that she is evil uh, – I give him credit because she's not Wicked Witch of the West evil, right? right? She's she she is ruthless and underhanded, but I don't even know if she's necessarily as evil as as Cersei is. Well, at least um, she's oh, not not even close as evil. As uh, well, I don't know that. Well, we don't know how far she's willing to go, but I, you know, she also has. Yeah, Dude, you're she right. She's to a smoke baby. And and I do get the sense that she's holding back, that she's not telling Stannis everything, that we don't know what her real ultimate goal is. I believe that one step of her goal is getting Stannis on the Iron Throne. Yes, sure. I don't think that and is her pay the price. Right. Like we're with Davos, I believe that getting Stannis on the throne is his end game. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. That's I fair. think for her that's still you know, that's still like maybe opening oof, right. you know? so that's her first step and then who knows what comes after um but that's yeah i think i think what you can say about stannis is that and i don't think anyone's ever disputed he's a he's a good man and the fact that you have somebody like davos consistently speaking up for him right this is going back to you know basic english 101 is that how do you know about a character and one way to you know about his character is what this character do but also what do the people say about the character and you have Davos repeatedly talking about how Stannis is a good man and he's an honest man. He's tough but fair. And this is the dude who had his fingers cut off by this right. guy. So right. It's not like it's his wife saying it. it. And, and to ins- for Sir a man to inspire that sort of loyalty, it says a lot. Um, the flip side, of course, is that he's got his – the fact that he is dealing with a witch, that he's deal- willing to do anything to do what he thinks is right. And he, that because he is so hidebound by by his rules, by what he thinks has to be done, you know, and we'll see where that where that ends up getting him. With the daughter, it says a lot, and I think I never picked up on it, but I think that was a great comparison. Phil is that you can contrasting him with Tywin and how they treated their children. There's a little bit of a difference in that. This girl, whose name I can never remember, Scaly Face, S S H or something, Shireen, I think, or something like that. Right. So the fact that the, the slight difference is that um, 
Tyrion killed his mother when he was born, and he was born deformed. Whereas this girl was born, and I imagine born to, you know, the, the pink cigars and and helium-filled balloons and all that other fancy, you know, yay! And then something bad happened to her. As opposed to Tyrion, where his birth itself was was a curse from day one. So I'd yeah, be curious, like, how, how... So I don't... There is a comparison. It's not a perfect comparison. Like, what would Stannis have done in that same circumstance? Um, WSD. Yeah, and same thing. What would happen if... Um, Look, I think Tywin certainly loved in his Tywin-y way uh, his uh, Jamie and Cersei. Now, what would have happened if Cersei, at like four years old, had caught Grayscale? Yeah. You know, what would he have done? How would he have responded? I don't know. He's tough, and he's certainly tough and harsh and cruel, and I don't think he has um, the goodness in him but he has certainly the, that, that Stannis does, but he certainly has the family loyalty and he loves them because they're part of his pride. So I don't know. It'd be, it, it's interesting. He, he hates Tyrion just because he's an embarrassment to the family, but he never killed him. Right. Though at the end he was going to, he, I mean, he let it happen and he set up Shay to, to frame him too. Yeah. Yeah. But I think he would have been happy. I think, I think Tyrion was right that the whole thing was maneuvering the pieces, uh, or exploiting the opportunity because he didn't kill Joffrey was exploiting the opportunity to get Jamie back because Jamie's the Jamie's Jamie's the special the child. golden child. When you look at everything, and even you look at um, Tywin's choice of judges in Tyrion's trial, yes, um, there's no reason he had to pick Oberon. Uh, there's no reason he had to pick Papa Martell. He could have stacked it with with lackeys. Um, I, I think he wanted to manipulate the events just so he could get save Jamie, Tyrion's right. life, get Jamie where he wanted him to, and he knows that no matter who killed Joffrey, Joffrey was a evil little shit, and whoever and Tommen was going to be a whole lot easier to control, and this was probably a good thing in the long run. <laughs> Bless you. Yeah. So, that's yeah, so yeah, I do. I do think. I, um, don't get me wrong. I think in his in his way he hated hated Tyrion, but I also think his family loyalty would have limited how much he ever was going to do to him. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it is sucky. No matter what, he was going to be forced to go to the Black Watch or whatever. But you know, that's Tywin. You know, get rid of Tyrion without killing him, whatever. But yeah, so. right. Anyway, that's, that was that was a different episode. But yeah, I, I see your point. How. Um, how the two Stannis and Tywin, and how it would have been a little different if, say, uh, Tyrion, you know, had been born without uh, the death of his mother and all these other things. But who knows? Right, but you can't. But you also can't. It would have been just way too on the nose to have uh, whatever Scaleface be, you know, born under the same circumstances as Tyrion. The two were there as a literary device to serve it. They serve as a comparison of the two characters and the two situations. And it's a great contrast. And it is a really good and touching scene. And it's one of the few scenes with um, Stannis where he's not being a, a bit of a dick. Right? Where yeah, he's not or, talking or, about politician my, or whatever. Yeah. Right. He's not being, my honor, my birthright, and this is, this is what we will do because it is the right thing to do. And because it is right, you know, we're not worried about that. He's he's being he's being a father, and that's awesome to see that they, he handles it in that way. 
Um, and I do like, I'm going to say again, I really love the way so many of these actors, I mentioned it last week, with the way Davos interacted with Ollie. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it's just a small thing, but the way a lot of these adult actors interact with the kids. And you, know, you, you, you do get a lot of um, good emotion there. And it feels genuine, like a you know a father or uh, talking to a, a a son or a daughter. These feel like genuine interactions, genuine emotions, and it helps that they get act- kid actors who can actually act. Um, probably yeah. because they're British and it's in the genes. I'm, yeah. I just assume. You, you know, know, American actor. I, uh, I read an interview with I, I think it was one of the showrunners uh, that was talking about how uh, they cast. Uh, Oh, I forget the actresses' names, but uh, Arya and Sansa, uh, how they cast those young actresses for their part at that age, uh, and then just got really lucky that both of them end up to grow up and to be really good actresses. Indeed. Right, and like we we give we give Sansa a lot of shit, but that's because of who the character is. The right. actress is perfectly fine at for much of the series. Portraying a uh, a vapid and then later frightened little twit, you know it's. Um, I, I have to disagree. I, I think she's fine. Well, you're wrong still, but that's okay. But that's that's who the character is, and now that the character is moving in something, or and she still feels like the same character. She hasn't suddenly, and we see this this week. She hasn't suddenly become, you know, you know, the manipulative queen of Cersei. Westeros. Right. She hasn't turned into Cer- Cersei. She's yes. still on her uh, deceitful legs. Yeah. Yes. Right. Well, and, and to be honest, I, I don't even know uh, if her endgame would be Cersei's anyway. Her endgame may be to be ruthless and then turn everything back to pre-rebellion, um, pre-war. You know, in the sense that you know maybe she'll be the leader and she'll be a good leader. Maybe uh, Stannis will come to Winterfell and liberate, and you know, on and on. So I don't think she's ever plans to be ruthless to the end. I think she just plans to be ruthless to maybe. Uh, the Boltons. Well, yeah, and let's right. uh, okay. Let's finish up in the north. We talked about Stannis, uh, so let's finish talking about Littlefinger and Sansa, and then we can talk about uh, Jon Snow. Sounds good. Okay, so Sansa and Littlefinger. We had this great scene in uh, what, is it the tombs at Winterfell? That's right. Yeah, we see that in episode one of season one, where Robert Baratheon comes to pay his respects to. His ex-fiancee, who is who's now passed in Winterfell, and this is this is it. So uh, Sansa is down in the tombs, and Littlefinger goes down there to find her. She's lighting a candle for her aunt, yep. uh, and basically Littlefinger tells Sansa the story of the turning of the Harrenhal, which was actually huge as as far as changing the landscape of the the politics and everything like that. And basically tells her the story of how Prince Rhaegar Targaryen won the tournament at Harrenhal and then rode right past his own wife uh, to ride up to Sansa's aunt and give her a wreath of flowers. And that basically led to a war. Just a little one. <laughs> so, uh, basically a lot of what's happened uh, in Westeros over the past however many years uh, is because... Rhaegar Targaryen totally fell for... Uh, I can't remember Sansa's aunt's name right now. What was it? Uh, Lyanna. Lyanna. Right. Okay. Lyanna, because uh, Rhaegar fell for Tiana, um, everything went to shit. Uh, and 
that might be part of where why the Starks ended up where they are. So we're getting a kind of some of the backstory from the world of fire and ice that George R. R. Martin has explains all his books, including the, uh, the extra book that talks about the history of Westerlers. What we get here is where Baelish is, is now heading back to King's Landing, and we still don't know why, except that Cersei's needs him or has called right. him back. And so we don't know if it's a trap for him or if he's coming back to help you know, solidify her power by and be wanting her be one of her lieutenants. We don't we don't know. And what he's doing is leaving Sansa to stay at Winterfell. His answer is, "Don't worry, Stannis is coming to take uh, the Boltons out." And if he does fail, which he probably won't, because he's the greatest general in all of Westeros. <laughs> if he, if he does, well, that's what he says. But if he does, I, fail, I know. I'm just he, laughing at your mad crush on status. Oh, and if he does uh, fail, then just marry the Bolton kid, and you know what to do. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Um, and she pretty and she's much like, no, I, I don't know what to do. And she's like, make him yours. Yes, which whatever <laughs> that, whatever that actually means, we can probably gather. But. Um, what, what and she's you, like, you, I don't know how to make him mine. And every man on the planet is thinking, bullshit. Really? <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Really? Well, that's the thing is that that uh, Bolton, Ramsey Bolton, being who he is, you know, it's like being a superstar. You can be a rock star and you can have any groupie you want. So it's not that important, probably, to him. If you know what I'm talking about, Mike, so Sansa can be yeah. as good looking as she wanted. Well, so- I, I don't think anybody well, under- act a little googly around her, right? But I have a feeling, and this is complete supposition on my part, that he is full of shit. That he doesn't Ooh. want to be burdened with the wife. Oh, Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that he he has no use for. Her. He certainly has his his like he has his his entourage of hot babes and Theon um, <laughs> that travel around with him, and I have a feeling that he's going to end up or could end up being the Achilles' heel in uh, in Littlefinger's plan because Littlefinger doesn't know has what no he's no idea doing. what kind of a sick freak he is. Right, so when he says, oh, you'll figure it out, he's seeing the, the the nice boy who lives next door, you know, not the cannibal who chops off penises and right. then eats a sausage in front of them. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it, it'll be interesting how that plays out. and uh, Or maybe it is. Maybe he is being completely on the up and up. Maybe he is being so, uh, like, thrilled that, hey... I've been the bastard and the unwanted child for so long, and now I hit the lottery. Right. I've uh, got my name. I've got a title. I've got a position. Ruling you know, the about north. That, about to marry a duchess, or, a, or and now and, I, and now I'm about to marry a hot babe who's on her like who third engagement. Who's got with a title on her third engagement, and yet she's married already, and yet she's still a virgin. Hot damn! <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So I don't. I gotta say, I don't think Ramsey's that reasonable. No, I don't either. But I do think this is like this is the first serious 
miscalculation that Littlefinger has made because uh, he just has no idea about Ramsay Bolton. But he does admit to Santa, beware of uh, Bruce. Rob, Bruce. Yeah, Bruce Bolton, because he's a bad, bad guy. Well, so. and Ramsay is his bastard son. Yeah. Yeah, so... so. <laughs> so uh, what, is, what does he think is going to happen there? <laughs> uh, no, that's true. And, and of course, he's heading back to uh, King's Landing, hoping to, uh, you know, basically, what was his, well, his let's phrase? Not, let's not forget. Keep that appearances. That's what he tells Sansa. <laughs> Littlefinger does not always tell the truth. Yeah, that's true. That, no, that's a good point. And, again, we don't know why he's going to King's Landing, because, again, he just says, oh, I'm going to keep appearances up so they don't know what we have planned. Yeah, and Littlefinger, he lies rarely. He much prefers to withhold telling you everything. Right. Or or tell you things out of context. And, you know, as he said, when he said to Ned Stark, I told you not to trust me, right? And he has no problem telling the truth, but telling it in a way that's disarming or so that you don't realize the full ramifications of what he's saying. What's interesting. Right. So maybe, maybe he is going to King's Landing, but via the route of some other place where is, where is he's actually going to do his thing. Well, but we know he's been summoned immediately by Cersei, Cersei. to King's Landing from last episode. We sure. don't know why yet. We don't know what her plans are. And I'm curious to see, is this is she trying to take care of him? Or does she think he's an ally that she's bringing into the fold? I think she's starting to realize that she's out of her depth as far as trying to take Tywin's place. Uh, and thinks he's still an ally. I so, think she's, yeah, so- she's, she's grasping at whatever straw she can right now to gain as much power as possible. This is why she's summoning him. It's why she's cozying up to the High Sparrow. Right. Yeah, that's a good point because I'm thinking she's creating her new group of counsel. In other words, it'll be uh, the Frankenstein guy, whatever his name is. I, got it. <laughs> I, I don't got remember it. his name. Kyber. Kyber? Yeah, yes, thank you. Yeah, she thinks she has the, the High Sparrow as a new Septon. She thinks Littlefinger has always generally been loyal or been scared enough to become loyal. So bring him back, and he's smart. Um, and then, you know, eventually she'll dispose of Pycelle and, uh, as she's done basically everybody else on the, the council. Um, well, so, or maybe she wants to chop his head off, because let's not forget that Littlefinger was master of coin, who engineered all these loans and trades that uh, are now coming back uh, to bite them in the ass with the Iron Bank of Bravos calling in their loans. Yeah, that's true. That's possible. I, I, I think that may be the case. Is that what you have said, Mike, that it was Littlefinger that brought them to debt, or were they already screwed up already and he just had to, you know, decay? You well, know. I think he's been, like, master of coin for a long time, is the sense I get. Um, right. I don't know. If, has, has he been since since Robert took over? Yeah, that's, that's a good And yeah. because he is a friend of the family. Yeah. And and so I have a feeling a, a large percentage of that debt is stuff that he ran up. Now it's because of Robert. Yeah. Right, and it's you know Robert's like, uh, can I have a big feast? Uh, hold on a second. Yep, credit card's still good. I'll keep doing it, and not bothering to tell him that they're not paying off the credit card. Right. 
that he's using the credit card to pay off his other credit card. Right. Yes. So I don't know. I'll be curious to see where he ends up within Cersei's plans because we know from the first season it takes at least three episodes to get to King's Landing from landing from Winterfell. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, and let's uh, before we before we transfer over to Cersei and King's Landing, let's finish up up north yeah, uh, and talk about Jon Snow. Since we're on Jon Snow, I do want to make a point. We got the full story finally. I think about Rhaegar Targaryen and uh-huh. Lyanna, yeah. which just I want to say would have been really helpful, to, I think, to a lot of people to know uh, to understand Oberon's story <laughs> last season. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, because that all ties into that. And I knew about it because I've like so I've checked a couple of things on Game of Thrones wiki or whatever Ice and Fire wiki. Um, just to try to get some understanding of background and then accidentally read too far in some cases and spoiled myself. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I, I, so I have some, even though I haven't read the books, I've got, I knew about some of this background, but it's nice that that story is finally out there. However, yes. do you notice what other thing was mentioned in just in a throwaway line in the same episode? Cause I know there's this conspiracy theory out there, which is, uh, when they talk about Jon Snow the bastard yeah. and and uh stannis says well i don't know that didn't seem to be ned stark's, uh, ned stark's ned stark's way that didn't seem to be his character and i know there's some people that are thinking that you know that there's something fishy going on some people saying he may be the son of a targaryen or he may be eliana's son or mm-hmm. uh there's, and these are and this is not a spoiler. These are all speculations and only one or two of many different variations, um, or could you know, or whose actual child he might be. Um, well, and he's, he's but it's interesting that they, bring, that they maybe he's the bastard child of Robert Baratheon. Or, right, and that's another part because with the dark hair is why I'm thinking he's not likely to be a Targaryen child, but. Um, and then might make him more palatable to to uh, shack up with Danny or somebody else later. But um, if they want to go that way, but <laughs> the idea that they are that this is the first time in a long, long time that they have really discussed his parentage in any way outside of your your bastard Jon Snow. You know, it's <laughs> that seems to be his formal greeting. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're a bastard, Jon Snow. Hello, today. <laughs> no, no, the the best is, is how Sandra says. Here is the bastard of Winterfell. Sort of <laughs> <laughs> like he's like he's the one and only. Yeah, the only yeah. bastard in the north. Um, <laughs> and but right, we had that one episode going back to episode one. Ned Stark. Well, tell you what, I'm going on a long journey. Won't see you for a long time. I know you got questions about your mom. I'll we'll text you later. Text you later. Yeah. Okay. Bye. This we don't nothing. Nothing bad will happen to me in King's Landing <laughs> at all. Nothing at all in the next five seasons. I have a feeling by the end of the season I'm going to be exiled to the wall, and I can explain everything about this to you there. And that's where you'll find out the truth about who your mother is, well, and whether they, or not I'm really your father. They cut the scene. Where Jon Snow gets a raven from uh, King's Landing with a note from from Ned Stark saying, uh, "John, things are going bad here. But before I die, I wanted to tell you that your mother is ah." <laughs> <laughs> oh, good point. 
right, all right. Marty uh, She's a witch. Okay, but uh, <laughs> now there's a question of who Jon Snow is, at least by Stannis. In other words, Stannis basically has come out in his opinion without actually saying it uh, to his wife. He goes, I don't think that is really Jon Snow's father at Ned Stark because Ned Stark isn't the type of go around banging some wench. He, he well, is going to be something else. Well, is it that or is that the wench that his mother is not a wench? His marriage. So well, that, if it well, was him, he took yeah. the fall for it and, and really paid the price for it. Yeah, so actually you have a, have a good point there that Stannis, what he did say was, I don't think Ned Stark would have done it with a common woman. So he didn't say that, that Ned Stark wouldn't be the father. He just said that Ned Stark wouldn't have probably done it with a common woman. Or at least okay. not done in a way that would have resulted in a child. Sure. The scene no between Sam and Jon Snow, which yeah. I thought was really interesting. Because basically what's happening is, is Sam is uh, putting all these letters in front of Jon Snow that he's drafted to different families throughout the land and different different centers of power. Uh, basically requests for manpower at the wall because they're down to like 50 men. Uh, which is no good against a horde of hundreds of uh, White Walkers. So they need some reinforcements, and they're trying to get them. And he's like, this one's to so-and-so, and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, and John signs it, and he's like, this one is for so-and-so, and he signs it. And then this one is for so-and-so, and he signs it. And there's one he just, like, puts in front of him, and John almost signs it without looking at it. <laughs> he's like, hey, wait a minute. This is to the Boltons. <laughs> and Sam's like, yes, and we need their men. It doesn't matter what they did to your family. Remember, they're not your family anymore. We're your family. You're a member of the Night's Watch. We're not related to all that anymore. And we need to request this manpower no matter how you feel about them. And John actually listens to him and signs the thing. So I thought that was a pretty cool scene for Sam. But I also I like it almost sounded like he was making up the names. And this yes. is the Lord Bimblebobble. <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> and who's Lord Beeblebobble? How many troops does he have? More Five. than Lord, more than Lord Weaselwazzle. Here's Lord Weaselwazzle. <laughs> but I don't think Jon Snow necessarily agreed that he isn't a Stark anymore. But he did agree to. No, he saw the logic. Sam was saying though. Yeah, he saw the yeah. logic exactly. Which is, we need the criminals and the losers from everywhere, and we we need them all. So even Bolton, uh, we have to. And, and I would make the, the argue, I mean, I would make the case if, if, if Jon Snow is devious, and I don't think he really is devious enough for this, is that by entrenching yourself as commander of the North Wall, North Watch, or Black Watch rather, and, uh, and sending requests for assistance to man the watch from your most hated enemy, you're almost getting him off guard and thinking that, no, you really are just being Night Watch guy. Yeah, uh-huh. right. That's a good point. You know, and, well, and Mike, that's you're not valid. worried about the politics. And Mike, that's a valid point because based off of how Davos and, and Stannis are working him, you can tell he's thinking both. You know, I mean, he's, you know, he's loyal to the Watch and he, all this and so forth. But, you know, deep down, he would like to see the Boltons go. And yes. so, so it wouldn't surprise me if... Uh, he's. I wouldn't, to... really, I wouldn't even say it's deep down. I'd say it's right there on the surface. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's true. So it wouldn't surprise me if if he would be that 
uh, devious to trick the Boltons to feel comfortable that he's not really after them when, in fact, it wouldn't surprise me based off of um, the previews for next week where we see uh, Stannis' army leaving that well, maybe Jon Snow is going to give him those hints about those tunnels on the ground that, you know, that they were asking about and all these mm-hmm. other things. So uh, it'll be curious. Um, I, I guess the last scene of significance, though, with Jon Snow would be the one with Melisandre, right? The witch who tries to bewitch him. We don't know tries why. to recruit Jon Snow to, uh, to go to Winterfell with them since he, as she says, drew up there and knows all the, knows all the little secret tunnels and nooks and crannies of the place uh, to give them a strategic advantage. And he's like, no, no, I can't get involved with all that. I'm Lord of the Night's Watch. And we don't do that sort of thing. I took a vow. And she's like, well, (laughs) here, look at my boobs. What do you think now? (laughs) Uh, She basically tries to seduce him uh, and fails because Jon Snow is much stronger willed than Stannis. Uh, And (laughs) then on her way out, turns around and says, you know nothing, Jon Snow. At which point, I cheered out loud. <laughs> well, isn't isn't that whole thing just such a, a great sort of thing? It's like, ooh, feel my boobs, Jon Snow. Ooh, I'm a fancy highborn lord, and I'm too good to tell you about the secret passages and tra-la-la. I could just see, it's like the same sort of manipulation that, that Greet would use to go Jon Snow before. She, she would she would do it more playfully and more snar- more snarky um, right. and, le- and and less witchy, right. uh, but it's the same it, it's the same shit. It really is, um, and and to to end with that, I thought it was terrific. But, it was I mean, awesome. I know, I didn't even see it coming, but it it sums up everything because Jon Snow is still living in this this uh, horse blinder way of thinking when. There's a lot going on. It's not his fault. He was raised by Ned Stark. But the problem is, is she, what she says is legitimate in the sense you know nothing, Jon Snow. I mean, here's your friends here. Stannis is your friend. These people mm-hmm. are your friends. These, this is the bad people. That's right. So everything she says is right. And he's just this closed-minded. <laughs> well, he is, to be well, fair, he is. Here's the thing. If he hit, okay, he, he's, his, his, his line here is that he took an oath. And had he always been true to this oath, I would not have a problem with him drawing this line in the sand and saying, no, I am honorable, I will stay true to my oath, and I will not do this. If he'd been doing that the whole time, yeah, okay. But he killed another members of the Night's Watch, so he could go undercover with the wildlings, and he banged one of them, and totally broke his vows all over the place. And now he's like, oh, no, but I can't do that. That's my problem with the whole situation. Is He selectively des- decides when to, to keep his oath. And, and that's the problem, too, is that the times here are changing, as Bob Dylan would say, where everything has changed. So the Night's Watch and Jon Snow and Sam and all these people have different things they have to pay attention to now. It's not just we sit here at the wall and dead set. There's new things that have occurred. The Wildlings are now at the wall. They want to come over. You have Stannis there. You have the Boltons down there. The King's Landing's in chaos. You know, on and on and on. And you got the dragon people on the other side of the, the sea. 
And he's here like, I'm just going to do this. And I think that's insane. <laughs> he can make sides. He can choose. He know he should know what is best for the Night's Watch as well as to keep the others and uh, the White Walkers out. And it fits well, just a- But you also have to look at it from the angle of he was just elected Lord Commander and his hold on his leadership is shaky already. I mean, he set an example uh, with Yano Slint the last episode by chopping his head off, which gained him some, uh, if not respect, uh, some fear. Uh, but if he were to go trotting off to Winterfell, would anybody be there when he got back? Good question. Yeah, and so, the thing is, like, in his defense, he got thrown into that thing with Degreet not long after joining the Black Watch. He, he's he's a captive of the Wildlings. He's got Corrin Halfhand ordering him to kill him. And then he's, like, getting hot and naked up against this beautiful woman to stay warm. He really was just completely out of his depth and completely confused and lost. And he's trying to reconcile what he's being told to do, what his oath tells him to do, and his boner. <laughs> right? And, no, it's, uh, yeah. and I think... Uh, every and man has that quandary. So when you talk about, like, consistency, understand he's trying to stick to his oath. He screwed up the one time. One time he did... He killed Corrin Halfhand because he was ordered to kill him by Corrin Halfhand. And so he's still trying to feel his way into some degree. He's trying to stick to it even though... There are a lot of other th- parts are pulling him in different directions. And by following, you know, his boner and boning your greet, you know, some bad things happened as a result. So I, I can understand him even, even more reluctant. And truth be told, Melisandre is not exactly a greet. She's no, like she's the skanky still version. She's freaking hot, dude. She's about? hot. She's, she's, she's better she's, than you, Grit. No, Grit had more of the. Grit had more of that that girl next door innocent thing going on. Even though we know she wasn't really innocent, we all know it was just the whore playing at it. But um, and yeah, right. don't go all Black Widow on me and say, "Oh, you called her a whore." Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. Either way, either way, they're both good looking, and it doesn't matter. But the point is, is that you're right. He's still trying to figure himself out. If he had more time, where he could sit down for a month and think it all out, maybe he'd make the right decisions. Well, and but people are inconsistent. People, pe- people do things that are hypocritical all the time. You know, it's it's that's true. That's what you know. These are ideals. These are not necessarily and ideals are ideals because they're hard to stick to. Yep. Well, any further things about Jon Snow? I mean, we'll we'll figure out what he does. You know, uh, next we shall week. see. Yeah, yep. sure. So, all right. So, uh, where do you want to go now? You want, I guess we'll go with uh, King's Landing, right? There, there's yes. really only three more stories. There's King's Landing. There's Bronn and the Sand Snakes, and then there's Daenerys and uh, Tyrion. I, I think we should go in that order. Yeah, all right. So let's do let's do the uh, Cersei's now. Um, it appears that Cersei's is, is screwed up everything. She's <laughs> she's basically let a bunch of fanatical nuts, like I thought they would be, uh, force their religion upon them. In other words, they're, they're like some kooks. They're, they're completely out of it. They're bad, bad people. And they're killing homosexuals. They're arresting anybody who you know, doesn't eat pork on Friday. Then they basically arrest the, the queen's brother, who, by the way, it appears is, is um, bi or, you know, you know whatever. Alternate lifestyle. So, Loris. Yeah, Loris, right. So, what, what, what do we got here? Because we, we have her, Cersei's, basically... She, wanting to be, quote-unquote, the power behind the throne, and yet what she's doing 
is destroying the legitimacy of the throne. In other words, she's well, destroying her own son. She's well, first of all, she, <laughs> go ahead. She is screwing up in all sorts of ways. Well, first of all, as my wife said, when she talks, there's somebody of was protected in, in power, who's protected by gold and privilege. And, and Pam's like, is she talking about herself? It's like, well, she, yeah, she is. Does she know she's talking about herself? That's not no. What she, means, but she is talking about yeah. herself. Right. And, <laughs> <laughs> Phil, you have to. You, let's remember where we're putting this in context. I know this is an alternate, uh, in another world. This is an Earth, um, but it, this is, you know, medieval Europe, and the church is a big part. Most of the people in King's Landing, I think, are uh, like it or whether they like it or not, they're 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 expected to be part of that faith. So I don't know that they're you know they don't have you know modern views on what religion is. You're in their territory. You're a seven. You worshiper of the seven, um, hence the seven pointed star and so forth. But um, so I don't think it's that they're forcing necessarily people to their views in the same way. But well, yeah, they're just being. They're, but they're getting. They're, they are getting medieval on their asses as far as as far as enforcing that code. My problem is that they went way too quick to eleven. Last week she's introducing herself to the high sparrow. In like a three-minute time span, she's made him septum and given him an army. And we're just going to have to accept some of that elasticity of timeline in the television series. Uh, because in order to do it the way they did it in the original storytelling in the book, they'd have to have four-hour episodes. Um, well, I'm just saying like it feels like, like there should have been like one more scene in between there. I, it just felt like it was too sudden. But this whole thing is about – because I was trying to figure out what the hell is she doing – um, because we know she wants Marjorie, right? That's who her rival is. And I did love the line when she sends Papa Tyrell to Bravos. <laughs> yes. And Meister Pysel is right where the Meister says, well, the small council is getting smaller all the time. Oh, and she's Pysel, Meister Pysel, and she's well, still not small enough. So basically all that's left is her, Pysel, and Kyburn. Uh-huh. And and Kyburn is the one she put on there by her choice. So when she says it's not small enough yet, you know, we know that it's not Kyburn she's talking about getting rid of. Right. Um but so what is she up to? Who is she talking about? Here's okay. And here's, here's and, what I and, think and, and so it's it. striking at so it's striking at at Marjorie through her brother. Yes. And and that's exactly uh, okay, this is just this is just a perfect example of her not being as smart as she thinks she is. Because what she thinks she's doing here is driving a wedge in between Tommen and Marjorie uh, by getting Loras thrown into jail by these religious kooks, which makes Marjorie upset. Uh, and the, and she knows that Tommen doesn't have the balls to do anything about it because Tommen is not Jeffrey. Joffrey, sorry. Right. Uh, so, I mean, say what you will about Joffrey. Uh, if Joffrey had marched up to that guy and uh, he had said he's busy praying, uh, there would have been blood on the streets. Right. All those guys would have been in a fight with the Royal Guard, and uh, either he would have gotten to talk to that guy or he would have ended up with a whole bunch of heads on sticks. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, say what you will about Joffrey, Joffrey would not have turned around and walked the other direction like Tommen did, and Marjorie is really upset about it. And so, to that end, 
Cersei's plan worked to a certain extent. However, the angle that she did not stop to think about is that, as Phil pointed out, which he's absolutely right about, is that she is legitimizing this sect of religious kooks uh, who are going around uh, enforcing their radical extremism of religion uh, and beating people and killing people and throwing them in jail for things that are are religious sins. Uh, and that quote that she said uh, about people being shielded from gold and uh, power, uh, she's absolutely talking about herself. And, yeah. <laughs> Not only is she doing all that, but she's also making the King Tommen appear weak and lose his own power exactly yeah she's she's reducing the power of the of the crown and increasing the power of this religious sect and maybe she thinks that she's gaining power for herself at the same time by cozying up to the high sparrow right and and that's the thing is that tommen has a good point which is tommen he didn't ask for this so what he asked for was to be the ruler of a kingdom in theory this tough decision should have never happened because cersei's had she not given all that power in the army to this these religious kooks, there wouldn't be an issue in the first place. But because she did that, he is now in a situation where he has to kill a bunch of people and arrest mm-hmm. them or whatever, or not have bloodshed. And unfortunately, you know, in that position, sometimes, you know, you have to make tough decisions. And, and he doesn't have, or at least not at the moment, have that ability to make that type of decision, which is off with your head. And so... He looks really weak. Uh, Cersei thinks she's consolidating power by getting all these allies around her that's going to make her the, you know, the puppet master behind the throne. When in reality, she's making a renegade group. And now, as we see, Marjorie's going to be bringing Lady Oleana back, which is another threat. Never mind the fact that her own son, who is supposed to be at least a figurehead, if not the real leader, is about to lose power and possibly lose the throne and therefore make her actually lose power too. And let's not forget, was it their plan and their meeting of the small council uh, to have Marjorie's family financially back the Lannisters to pay back at least partially the Bank of Bravos? Yeah. Right. I think that's going to go now. As much as I like You Know Nothing, Jon Snow, my favorite line of the evening, are you two not getting along? <laughs> oh yeah, Thomas. That's, that's great. Uh, I, I do feel really bad for Tommen because, oh my God, he is put in such a bad position by his mom. I will, look, he was smart enough to know he's standing outside the sept. He's got people booing him, calling him a monster, calling him an abomination, calling him, you know, uh, this incestuous, uh, illegitimate usurper. And he doesn't make a situation worse by killing the religious leaders. Right. Who, as we know, for all they're doing, Phil, they have been feeding the poor and they have been tending to the poor and helping the, the destitute prior to us getting to them. And so they may have a but, lot more goodwill for all that they did. He has one other thing going for him, and that's Marjorie, who the people love. Uh, yeah, they do. But they also, you know, he didn't have her with him. Well, that's true. Right. She wasn't there. Yeah. Right. She wasn't there. But all they've done, to my knowledge... What do you mean? Uh, oh, they, they, mur- they murdered dozens of people well, get, in, in Bravo. Well, but, in but, but mostly, but, but they were mostly, mostly going after the wealthy. 
but still, that's mass murder. Of the wealthy. And you have the starving people. It does matter. It has the starving people. Remember, second season, the line from Varys, power resides where people believe it lies. Right? And if you have the people with you, you have the power. If you don't have the people with you, you don't have the power. And the people are fed up. They've been treated like shit for a long time. No matter how many things they said after Joffrey died. So I don't think they care a whole lot. Again, keeping in mind the the morality mindset of Westeros, I don't think they, they mind so much that it's these high-born, wealthy hypocrites that are being targeted. We haven't right. seen them going after the common people yet, I don't think. Well, right, and, but you know they will because, you know, it's, it's similar to like the Soviets when they took over and the people, yay, we got new leaders, and then they find out they're – we, we just got someone as bad as the prior leader or in Cuba where, you know, or Iran, you know, you go on and on, you right. throw out the bums and then the new bums are in and you're like, oh, good, we got new leaders. And then you find out they're as bad or worse than the prior bums. Right. But so, right now he no. doesn't have that much power. He doesn't have the power to go after them. He needs them to overstep and lose the people before he can make his move. So Not that he knows that. You're thinking, but if, if, put it this way, Tywin, if he was still a leader, he would have just slaughtered them all. If Joffrey was there, he would have slaughtered them all. Raw Baratheon there, he would have slaughtered them all. So should they have been... None of none of them would have allowed this to happen. Well, that's um, none, none of them would have let them take up well, arms. And, and Joffrey, don't ever use Joffrey and what Joffrey would do is be the right thing. Tywin would have they would have found they would have found they would have found more careful ways to do it oh, I, but you know what I would have arrested them all immediately and if they fought back unfortunately you know sometimes you have to use force to arrest people and because they murdered dozens and dozens and dozens of people even if they were quote unquote wealthy never mind the fact that they're bigots too they killed homosexuals they're just terrible people horrible people i i would all right I, stop using 21st century morale let's remember 30 years ago 80 percent of this country thought that homosexuality was was immoral okay yeah, so I, I see where you're coming right. So it's it's you're you're using a very very modern interpretation of morality in a very non-modern land. Yeah, but I don't right? think, think they, but they they kill them though. There's a difference between you know, I don't know. But is it? But but I think you don't and, think and, anybody ever got killed by religious people for being gay. Of course they did. It's terrible. Okay, well in case but, you hadn't noticed, Westeros kind of terrible. Yeah, but <laughs> Phil, those people who are being killed. Because they were gay, and by the way, in places like Iran, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's still point. it's still illegal to be gay. Um, the problem is that I think Cersei gave them legitimacy. Exactly, so that's the you whole could argue, point. So, so I think the real problem is not that they is not that they is that they murdered them; it's that they legally executed them yeah, or imprisoned them, oh, and see. and that's the catch. Uh, uh, yeah, and yeah. and if the yeah. people so. Yeah, they're it's not vigilantes so, acting out. It's basically the Soviet secret police, and they have the rights to do it. Right. Yeah. I have a feeling that that's the case. Was it would have been nice if they spent a little more time setting this up so we so we knew for sure exactly what – because they talk about this um, this secret police like, having existed in the past. And those of us who haven't read the books, 
and I don't know about the people who have, we don't have the, the historical context to who they were, what they were, what they did, why they were disbanded, you know, and what legal powers they have. So I think another scene, you know, just giving us the formation of it rather than, hey, would you like to bring back this group that we've never ever mentioned in the first five seasons of the show? Would you like to bring them back? Yeah, I know. I think if if they had a scene where Cersei signed the bill that says yes, you can arrest and, and kill all these these deviants. As wait, po- wait, as, wait, as wait, wait. Did you say law. something about signing a bill? Oh yes, well, I'm a bill. Yes, I'm that, only that's a bill. Really the, I was going to say that's really not the way a monarchy works. Well, maybe you're right, but even dictatorships, they have their you know the Nazis and the Soviets and all that. They have their fake laws that they put into play that are all illegal, and everybody passes, and then they go out and they do whatever they do and my point was is that Cersei's could have made a decree then if, if you prefer rather than a bill it's basically semantical that says you Septon have a right to this army and this army can arrest anybody and and judge and jury on the spot you know boom and then there, I guess there wouldn't have been an issue of me thinking that they were breaking the law because it appeared to me that they were just criminals breaking the law and they were basically like this sub uh, group within the kingdom that had their own power, rather than actually being given that power by the leadership itself, meaning Cersei's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I think I think somebody like I'm thinking Tywin would have been smart enough to recognize that you never give an order that you aren't sure will be followed, and so I don't think he ever would have gone openly and directly to confront the high sparrow right um i think they would have sent somebody covertly they would have sent a messenger who would have sat on their ass and waited for the high sparrow to be to be available when the king goes there the king can't be kept waiting because that just that's bad optics right um so they never tom and never should have been put in that situation where he's got a choice between looking like a fool or looking like his brother and executing everybody. Right. So I think Tywin and, and others would have been smart enough not to have ever ended up in that specific circumstances. They would have recognized that it's okay if, uh, if the High Sparrow cool, uh, if, sorry, if, uh, Sir Loras cooled his heels in prison for a little while. Right. Or they would have summoned him as opposed to gone to confront him directly. But this is poor Tommen. And, you know, and just getting so badly buffeted on both sides. I felt so bad for the kid. So you let him go. I told you I don't have him. Aren't you listening? Um, well, what, what do you think of this? What, what, what happens if next week, and this is just an assumption, we find out that they walk out with Sir Loris, head on a spear. They, they could already have killed him. They could have already, you know, put a mark on his head like they've been doing on people. They, who knows what they've done to him? He's, he's probably, he could be dead. We don't even know it. He could be. You know? he, he could. He could be Greyjoyed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he could be or Varys. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we don't know. And Cersei's is yeah. she's a fool. Basically, what it is is that the whole friggin' King's Landing is run by a bunch of evil people, except for Tom and and that's it. And, and I would well, not much he can do either. Yeah, I have faith that if we're getting Lady Olena back, um, I still think she's 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 the. She's the perfect counterpart to Tywin Lannister. And so if somebody can figure a way out of this mess, um, I think it might be her. Uh, the question is, you know, are they going to be have to find a way to live with the, the, the sparrows or, 
will they find a way to to undo them to get them to go too far? You know, um, I can't I can't believe they they can leave the sparrows in power because this is an army that doesn't have any. I mean, you're saying that Cersei has given them the power, but besides Cersei's, if you ignore her, they're basically their own independent army within a country, and it's like you can't have that. You know, that's like yeah. a militia, right? <laughs> but once they're but once they're there, yeah. right? How do you get rid of them? Right. And you, it's it was a mistake to set them up. Now that they are there and they are set up, you kind of have to figure out a way, right? To to get rid of them with out causing absolute chaos. Now, of course, I don't know how many of them there are. Yeah, that's another thing. That's that's right. So, right, because we're we're just seeing these small things. There's moments clearly where the the King's Guard or uh, no, the King's Guard or the Gold Cloak. So would they just just be the regular guard at King's Landing um, are turning their backs and letting them do what they want to do? Now, maybe there's only like two dozen of these guys, and they're just and if they give them the word to kill them. Then it won't be a big deal um, in terms of the battle. The problem is the political fallout among the people, right? You know, and because now she's made this guy high, high septum, <laughs> and oh, that's disaster. So, so right, so now you know this is, you know, th- this is the equivalent of, uh, uh, of, you know, the, uh, what's his name, King Henry. You know, if he had said if he had managed to to get rid of the Pope and put in his own Pope. And then deciding, well, I don't like this pope. Now I'm going to have to execute the pope, even though the people are on their side because he's going too far. You know, you're, you're putting yourself in a really bad spot. Um, and so the question is, like, yeah, Cersei has made a complete freaking mess out of this, and she doesn't even know it. That's the sad thing. Not right. yet. Not she yet. She's winning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She she basically created a militia that she can't control. She has one of her biggest threats. And Lady Oleana coming back. She's weakened her son. She doesn't even know that Baelish thinks she's a garbage, you know. And the, the whole thing's a disaster. It'll be interesting to see where this goes. I hope yes, it back. will. <laughs> All right. So any further things about the King's Landing plot? I just, I, I know where this is going and I can't wait. <laughs> All right. So let's do Dawn. Which, so that would be Bronn, the Sand Snakes. And um, Jamie. Um, Jamie and Braun arrive at Dorne and get into a fight and win. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah. it's actually some of the f- best best entertainment in the in the episode. But all in all, it doesn't really move the plot along except that. I mean, really, any conversation with Braun is great entertainment. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> and uh, then the fight they get into is, as far as the scale of Game of Thrones all time fights, it's not up at the top. But there is a great moment where uh, Jamie uh, wins his first fight one-handed uh, by accident. <laughs> he basically uh, accidentally catches his opponent's sword in his fake hand <laughs> and is able to stab him. So yeah, that I was think, kind of funny. I think, I think that was an important moment, even though it was funny and it appeared like it was just a entertaining fight, but I think it's an important moment for the show because it makes Jamie now potentially a force again in, right. in battle. So, because he has this new technique where his metal hand can actually be, uh, something he can use, uh, to win fights. 
Right, and he never thought about it till it happened. That's right. That's right. So, so that that was interesting. And then, of course, we meet the Sand Snakes. We discussed that that they were kind of caricatures rather than actual characters, and, and the scene really wasn't set up that well. Um, and the scene is basically uh, what's her name? Is it Elena? Alaria. Yeah, Alaria. Alaria. Uh, it's it's Alaria and her daughters, uh, and she basically says to her daughters, "Are you going to follow the prince?" Or are you going to come with me and get revenge? And they're all like, yeah, we're going with you to get revenge. And yeah, the- exactly. She basically said that we could still start a war, even though it's only the four of us. Um, how that will happen, you know, it could be assassinations. It could be rabble-rousing. Who knows what it is. But um, anyway, it's it's the, the beginning of, of this new plot twist, which is uh, people of the Nation of Dawn are going to go after the Lannisters. All I know is if you're going on vacation, uh, go somewhere besides King's Landing. Yeah, I would say that. Uh, Mike, any I mean, further things you want to At this point, bring? even no. a wall might be preferable. Agreed. <laughs> Mike, any, any further things you want to bring up for this before we get into the, the Daenerys stuff? Well, I think it's a, it's a shame that they killed a perfectly harmless milk snake. <laughs> I think it was computer generated, but that's besides the point. Well, the show was it was killed. Well, they eat it, so it wasn't like they're they're just hunters. For, you know, if you're yeah, if you okay, I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. The only thing I had, I guess, is that there was it just felt a little odd because they have what's her face ride in to meet her her daughters, mm-hmm. and and the way it, and she says, well, uh, what was the guy's name? Uh, oh. No, not Oberyn. The guy played by. Julian Bashir from Deep Space Nine, the, the, the oh, king. Oh, good God. Uh, totally forgot. All right, so she writes and says, uh, well, the he's, prince. He, he doesn't... Prince, the yeah. prince. The prince. Well, the prince has made his decision. He's not going to back us. That was like a conversation from like two or three episodes ago, and you're writing in like it just happened. Right. And it just felt like... So it felt like a weird edit, and again, it seemed almost out of context... You know, like its well, placement in the series is wrong. To be fair, that's partially because of the source material, because uh, George R. R. Martin wrote uh, basically like 800 pages of a timeline with one set of characters and another 900 pages of t- the same timeline with a different set of characters. There's a whole lot going on at the same time. Uh, and the way he was able to split it up into two books with different sets of characters... Uh, for that purpose, probably works a little better than trying to cram this all into a few episodes of television. Uh, that's probably why we're gonna. I mean, you, you, you. This is the second time you've mentioned the pacing of, of the storyline, and you're not wrong. Uh, but I think this is the way it's got to be for an episodic television series. Well, you know what they could have done to fix that problem because, Mike, I do think you still have a good point. Maybe they should have opened up this this episode. With her riding on the horse to the Sand Snakes, and that should have been the, the first scene. Or just we're, we're this half her knocking out uh, the guy with the boat with with the Sand Snakes. Yeah, I, I, I'm just saying. I think there were there were other ways that it could have been handled or edited, written so it didn't feel like it was meant to be continuation of the scene that we saw several episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Or they could have just moved that scene to now. You know, they could have moved that up to this one. But, yeah, it's, I understand a lot of this, because I, and I know how they do the series from what they've said, is they plot out each individual thread, uh, thread 
and then they they chop it up and figure out which one goes into which episode. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so I know these are meant to be moved around. Right. All right. It's it's not simply. Um, well, this was the scene that was written for this episode. All in all, everywhere I've read, have has said the scene felt bad. I mean, it was it was it was a, the weakest scene probably in the episode, and possibly the weakest scene in the entire series uh, because it didn't fit right and how and it was exposition was was kind of silly. Like you said, Mike, it felt out of place compared to you know two episodes ago and on and on and on. So well, forget out of place. I didn't understand what the hell she was talking about uh, <laughs> as far as as far as her story with her dad. Throwing the spear at her feet and pointing to a tear. I, I, yeah. I didn't get it. And <laughs> if somebody can explain it to well, me. What, what they should have done was just have the three sisters go, we're with you, Ma, and that's it. And they didn't have to have all that nonsense exposition because it really didn't prove anything well, or help. Well, she's clearly Or intended. they should have saved the whole thing for next episode and made it longer and make more sense. That's true, too. Right. She's clearly intended to be the lead of the th- – and, and what's her name? Obera or something? Yeah, like, yeah something cl- like that. clearly, clearly, her father's daughter. Um, yeah. So she's clearly intended to be the, the the lead character out of these three girls, which means she'll be the one that's dead by the end of the season. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's it it, it it just left me a little. I'm really interested in seeing where they go with this and what happens when they run into Jamie and Braun. If but, they even do. Oh, they better. <laughs> It's possible, but it'll be curious because if they do, who would get killed off, right? Because it's definitely not going to be a peaceful, like, you know, while you're here, blah, blah, blah. They're going to have to fight. So I'm thinking that they may actually skip it and they just won't ever find them. But who knows? Well, find they may out. Just head straight to, yeah, they may just head straight to King's Landing and then Jamie will have to deal with the prince. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. I think everybody agrees that it could have done a little better, but so be it. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's, let's get to the last last scene. Uh, I mean, obviously, we have the Tyrion thing with Jorah Mormont. Not much to add. He's basically like, where are you taking me? It's like, I'm taking you to the queen. He's like, well, then you're headed in the wrong direction, dumbass. And he's like, not that queen, the real queen, Daenerys. And Tyrion's right. just like, oh, you idiot. That's where I was going anyway. Yep. And he figures out who he is by, by his bannerman. You know, the yeah. beer and all that other stuff. And he figures out that Jorah must have been exiled and is now trying to regain favor. And that's pretty much it. Because Tyrion's a smart mofo. Yep. All right. So uh, the last scene, the Sons of the Harpy decide to basically do their girl warfare. They take out a couple people in the square. Uh, and when the Unsullied come to, uh, to see what's going on, uh, they get directed to this alleyway where the attackers ran off to, and when they go back into the alleyway, they're uh, surrounded. Both Barristan, Selmy, and Grey Worm are wounded or possibly killed. We're not sure yet. It ends. They're, they're seriously wounded. We don't know if they're going to die. That's where the episode stops. Right. And before that, one other scene with Daenerys and Barristan Selmy discussing her brother. And obviously the importance of the Rhaegar character. Obviously they're, they're trying to fill in some backstory. <laughs> I mean, that, that's pretty much it. Well, yeah, I got to tell you, how much did Danny end up paying for the uh, for the Unsullied? Uh, nothing, right? Because she she got her money back and killed the guy that owned them. 
I still think she may have That's paid too much. It, what are you talking because, about? They've conquered two cities so far. Well, but but one, they didn't do anything, right? They just stood outside and threw leaflets over the wall, and they let it come and you know be be done inside. And uh, you know, it's anyway. It's there. There was the Unsullied are supposed to be like the most awesome warriors ever. Right. Mm. One reviewer I read said they're they supposed to be the awesome. Warriors, like you said, Mike, but they turn out to be the Redcoats. In other words, line up and just walk straight and get shot at. Well, I was expecting at first for there to be, because I, I expected something like this was going to happen based on the previews. When I saw them running through the alleyways, I thought, you know what? That's a really bad place to be using spears as a weapon. <laughs> right. Because, they're, because yep. they're so tightly constricted. But no, they get ambushed in this open area. And they were outnumbered, but only like what I would say probably two to one. Right. Mm, and, I think it was a little more than that. But I mean, these are supposed to be like badass warriors, yep. and you know the best of the best. And as far as we know, and maybe I'm wrong about this, the slavers are like, you know, these 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 aristocratic slavers. You know, who like wearing party masks. And they're not armored. They have whatever knives they grabbed off their kitchen table. And they're doing a better job fighting. You know, it's... yeah. And then we saw, like, when Barris and Selmy, which, by the way, was kind of kick-ass to see him finally in action, because we've heard about how awesome he is since the first season. Right. And which, by the way, they also mentioned him earlier in the episode when they're talking about the... uh, yeah, with Sansa. Yeah, with Sansa with the joust. Yeah. Um, and that was just him. It was like down to him and Rhaegar Targaryen. Right. Yep. And, you know, if you remember going back when Joffrey strips him of his title, of his position, and he says, I can cut through the five of you like butter. Even now. You know, and with arthritic mm-hmm. 80-year-old man or whatever he is. You know, it's, um, so it, it, and it was good, but he was obviously, he's old and heavily outnumbered. But he still takes down like ten well, of them, right? Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. He he kicks some ass. Yeah. Well, he's a fifteenth level fighter versus you know first level thieves or whatever. <laughs> right. But but the problem is you have all these shit level thieves killing off the unsullied. Now, right. unless there's something we're going to find out about the unsullied about they're not taking their meds or, or uh, that they're growing fat and lazy and they just all want to be cuddled now. Well, when you don't um, get a sex drive, you, you become, you know, you know that's why we, we chop them off on the cats, right? Because they don't go out and they just become lazy, fat, and sloppy. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Uh, it's um, it, it just seemed to me like, no, and, and I understand it's still, uh, no matter how expensive this show is, it's still a TV budget. Okay. So they maybe couldn't do like something where they would be outnumbered ten to one. Um, I want to know how many Unsullied were lost because we saw a few, but when you get this sort of a montage, sometimes it's meant to imply like a greater scale. Right. So do the dozen or so Unsullied we saw killed mean that there was a dozen Unsullied killed, or is this a citywide thing where hundreds or thousands of them have been killed? Right. So was yeah, it an actual a really full, good question, Mike. Was it was it a full rebellion or or was this just a, a 
a small nice attack. Uh, right. A, a minor terror, you know, minor, a terrorist attack versus a, an actual all out war. Uh, that's a good question, Mike. Don't know. So a lot of this is going to, so these are things like that. While I, I did not fall over for this episode where a lot of people were saying, well, this is where it all starts coming together because it left me a lot more uncertain and a lot more uncomfortable with where the story is than I would have liked. Um, and you know, and I got to wait another week at least to find out like, what's the state of the unsullied? What's the state of, I'm like, I'm perfectly fine with not knowing if, if Selmy and, uh, and Grey Worm survive, you know, that's fine. Right. But to be honest, there's still minor characters, even if we like those characters. Right. Although the important thing is that, Danny has sent uh, Pretty Boy off to fight for her someplace else, and she she exiled Jorah, and now her two other advisors, yeah, they could be gone, and so she's slowly losing all the advisors who helped make her who she was. Yeah, that might be okay because she's not doing really great right now. Yeah. But you know, what's she going to be like uh, with n- none of these advisors now, and she's all "quote unquote" alone again, except for? Well, that's, a, that's a good point because the reason she's not doing well is not because uh, <laughs> it's because sometimes she doesn't listen to her advisors. That's if she exactly listened to her advisors, she'd be a lot better off. It's when she does what she wants anyway that's the problem. No, that that's exactly right because Salman and Barrister Salmi really was more of a protector than a true advisor, it seems. Right. And, and uh, you know, Jorah was, the, was the, the big man, and he's gone. So it's now the, the pretty boy guy, and he's good. But uh, but like you said, Mike, that she sent him away. And Grey Worm was, was similar to Barrister Selmy, where he just, you know, was the head commander of the – and did whatever she said. He, he never – Well, really and maybe, uh, maybe Tyrion and Jorah will show up and straighten her shit out. It's possible. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, for the whole episode, you're right. It, it, it makes more questions than really answers questions. Even though a lot of people say, "Oh, this is where it's all coming together," you're absolutely right. Like it, it actually asks and gives more questions now than than what it answers. So it may answer, and, and, and not questions like like you want questions. Questions like I'm not sure entirely what happened and what I saw and what it means. You know, yeah, it's like like for there there are certainly questions about like the King's Landing thing. Uh, I have questions about how that got set up. Right. But other than that, there are questions about how the ramifications of what we saw play out. But those are the kind of questions you want to have going forward. That's what keeps you tuning in. Right. You know, this, it's like, no, I should be clear as to how I should know when I watch this happen. Because it happened so suddenly with very little setup. Actually, really no setup. Um, that I don't know. Is this a citywide thing? Is this a, like, this street corner thing? Yeah, no, that's true. We, just as we don't know how many High Sparrow uh, militias there is, is it just a handful? And could Tom have just walked right in and wiped them all out in one, one you know, setting there? Or, or are they everywhere? And same here. We don't know what happened here. Is this just a little terrorist uh, waylay, or was it a whole nation, or I should say, a citywide things for the sons of the harpy. We don't know. So, um, 
Yeah, I, I see your point. And, and a lot of the questions um, I had, too, because I was like, I mean, you made a good point, Mike, which is that Cersei's gave them the right to arrest and murder and judge and whatever. Well, I was confused at that. I just thought they were murdering and, and without anybody allowing them to do it. So it's a good question. I, a lot of things were confusing this episode, I thought. Any further things? I'm good. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm fine. I think we've said what we had. Again, good. You know, I'm not saying this is a bad episode. It just, I was hoping, you know, it's uh, uneven. And you know, hopefully all this stuff will start coming together. Uh, sometimes it's hard to, to to knit the bones together properly. Uh, I think that's where they had a little bit of an issue, is getting all the parts connected. And hopefully well, we've, this, this is just a rough transition and things will go smoothly from here on out. Well, and, uh, yeah, part of it's, uh, again, the source material. Because in, in the source material, uh, he has a lot of trouble moving the Daenerys plot line forward. Uh, and the same thing with the, uh, the Sand Vipers. Uh, so, yeah, we might experience some frustration with these uh, going forward for a little while. Depending on how they chose to adapt it. Right, right, exactly. It depends on how, how they adapt it, right. So next week, uh, it'll be the halfway point of the season. And Are they doing inter- this stupid mid-season break thing? No. Okay, good. No. Yes, They've yes. never done that before. Why? No, they, they skipped asking, one week. It seems to be all the rage amongst cable shows, so... Yeah, no, no, they, they, this one they're not doing it. They're going straight through. Um, good, good. It is interesting, the title for next week, which is called Kill the Boy... Uh, what do you guys think that means? It's, it's Tommen, right? I mean, he's the boy. Do you think that's what they're talking about? Maybe. Well, the nice thing would be if it meant uh, Sir Robin. But, um... <laughs> oh, that's true, too. Yeah, it could be. I want to see the small boy fly! Uh... <laughs> it's possible. It's all, But it's, it's all likelihood it's going to be... Uh, I suspect we're going to start seeing shit hit the wall in uh, in King's Landing and Tom in, in trouble and yeah you know what and I say this is this is this is good thinking through and now Eric I don't know if you know the answer to this if not you know please don't spoil it I'm not going to even if I do okay let's say that Game of Thrones does something radical and kills off a character <laughs> uh, and Kills Tommen off. Right. What the hell happens then? Tommen's sister is in Dawn. She's she's not a male, so she's not the next in line. You do have Marjorie there as the queen, but as we saw happen with Cersei, the queen doesn't mean shit. Right? Okay. This is not put forth clearly in the television series. It is put forth clearly in the book that in Dawn... They have a matriarchal society, and in Dorn, they feel like that girl, whose name we can't remember, is the rightful heir to the throne. But it doesn't answer what's going to happen in King's Landing if Tommen is eliminated, no, right? No, it doesn't. I thought that was a really important point to put forth, since they were, you were talking about bloodlines and rifles gotcha. or heirs, that's all. Okay. Gotcha. So, the question is, what is actually in King's, Land- King's Landing? What is the next step in the Baratheon line since we're all pretending that they're all Baratheons. Um, we understand We understand the reality, which is that Stannis is, in fact, the next in line. Well, um, actually, actually, if wouldn't that be and, the case 
if Tommen gets wiped out, then now Stannis is actually the real king because now they're the quote unquote sons of Robert, you know, wink wink, are now dead. Stannis would is the next male, wouldn't he become king automatically? I don't know how that works. Because he was I mean, Robert's brother, right? Right, exactly. I don't know how that works. So if Robert's is are no longer with us, that would make then Robert's brothers and Stannis is the, is the next in line. But again, that ain't going to happen because Cersei wouldn't let it happen. So it still doesn't answer the question. So well, we've clearly seen that Cersei's par- power to make things happen or not happen is limited. Yeah, and Cersei's been protected for a while because she's been she's been protected by people who are better at this than she is right and she has left herself so exposed and vulnerable at this point i don't know if she's going to survive the season i would agree with that statement mike uh and also because it's game of thrones and we're running out of important people to kill (laughs) again though that still doesn't answer what happens if kill the boy means tom and dies next week right right i do agree everything you say about uh, Cersei's is no matter how of a conniver she is, she was always protected by strong people around her, meaning her father. Uh, never mind her her husband, who's dead, Robert Baratheon. Now that all those folks are gone, and even Joffrey because he was ruthless. Now that they're all gone, and Jaime is you know gone as well in theory, she is now vulnerable and doesn't have the protectors. So if someone wants to take her out or arrest her or do whatever, they could. And if yes. Tommen is kaput, then she's she's in big trouble. Especially since the you know, the first scene of the season was your three children will wear golden shrouds, meaning you're they're gonna die and you're gonna right. you know, so there there's there's some interesting things and I don't know. I don't know what will happen. Maybe it just becomes a a civil war. Or, or maybe Baelish, if he gets there, he somehow solidifies the power somehow and, and he ta- you know calms everything down. Or maybe Kevin Lannister comes back. I mean... I'm, I, I, I just, I just want to tell you, I don't think, I don't know that you guys know just how hard it is for me not to be typing in a Google search right now. <laughs> to find out what's going to happen. Yeah, no kidding. So I'm, I'm saying Baelish <sighs> is going to have something to play where he's going to somehow solidify everything because he's heading there and maybe they're going to fast track it from three episodes to one episode and he's going to be there next week uh, and this is me sitting over here saying nothing fair enough i oh, know so, nothing john snow which is the name of our podcast all right so with that i think we can wrap it up <laughs> well let, 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 let me let me let me just I, I am assuming they've gone further than this in the books with this king's landing story yes have they gone further than this with the danny story Yes. Have they gone further than this with the Jamie Dorn kidnapped daughter story? Um, niece story, sorry. Ah, uh, if they did, it wasn't interesting because I don't remember it. Okay. Okay. Or, or maybe maybe that's that's a made up thing because they're as we know this season they're they're changing stuff up. And yeah. Since like, they've gone off books a little bit, I mean, I, I'm I honestly didn't find book four and five all that interesting. Uh, and since I've started going off book a little bit, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting a little hazy as to, as to what actually happened in the book and what didn't. Cause the further off book they go, the further I'm like, wait, did that happen? I, I, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> so I don't remember exactly how the, exactly where the Dorn storyline ends in the book. 
Very well. Uh, that's, so this is uh, episode four of You Know Nothing, Jon Snow, a Game of Thrones podcast. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Philip, with Eric and Mike. Right, and, and we've run a little long in the podcast this week, uh, not something uh, new to us. Um, <laughs> but if you can explain to me what the hell the snake girl was talking about, please, please write in and let us know, because I have no clue what that story was about. That's right, and uh, you can email us at darkdiscussions at AOL.com, and also Dark Discussions Podcast Facebook group. Um, there's a lot of talk over there, and you can post your opinions over there as well. Um, we also, as Mike has asked in the past, if you want to uh, leave reviews on iTunes or uh, Stitcher, please do so. And we also uh, would uh, like you to at least check us out at Dark Discussions. Uh, as well, our sister podcast, and start with any episode. Don't start with number one. Actually, I would probably encourage people to start with a more recent episode because we've learned a lot along the way and gotten better at this. So anyway, uh, check out our sister podcast, never mind uh, Mike's blog and Eric's Escancity podcast, among other things. And uh, And please leave us reviews on iTunes. Yep, absolutely. And uh, again... Or whatever uh, other Stitcher and... Yep. Podomatic or whatever the hell there is out there that, that you can leave reviews for podcasts for. That's right. And uh, We Know Nothing, Jon Snow, uh, Game of Thrones podcast is under two feeds, its own, plus uh, if you do uh, sign up for Dark Discussions podcast through iTunes, it's part of that feed as well. Um, so uh, I guess that's it, and we'll look forward to see what episode five, the halfway point is of the season, Kill the Boy. All right, so, uh, Eric. They're going after Hot Pie. (laughs) All right. Thanks for tuning in to listen talk about Episode 4. Come back next week when we will talk about Episode 5.